Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. Today's date is Friday, December 9th, 2016. And we are reading, of course, from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and we are currently on page XVIII. Page XVIII. We're going to be starting with the, we're reading two paragraphs. Uh, starting with, we had to unify our fellowship. We're going to comment on the second paragraph. So here's our lineup. We got quite a lineup. Here's our readers today. We have uh, Chris G on the 12 steps. We have Allison L on the 12 traditions. And the readers of the text are going to be Kelly S, Nadia B, and Sylvia S. And we have uh, yesterday's share ID code. I should that ha have that right here at my disposal. Leah sent it to me, and I'm sleeping on the job. Yesterday, the share ID is Thursday, the first Thursday, December 8th, is 9342. That's 9342. So the OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. And we welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and of course, to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. And at a vision for you big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover. It happened to me. It can happen to you. They can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So let me now ask our good friend Chris G to read the 12 steps. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service and good morning, everybody. I'm Chris G, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, 
sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening, as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Larry, we don't hear you. Uh, how about that? <laughs> my brain is muffled, and hopefully my voice isn't muffled. Does that sound better? You sound good. Okay, good, good, good. All right, thanks, Chris G. Now we have the spectacular, the magnificent Allison L. that's going to read the 12 traditions. Allison? Ah, thanks for the buildup. Good morning, Larry, and thank you for your service. This is Allison L., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks so much, Allison. Okay, let me tell you how our meeting works. On a good day, it works. So here's how it works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Now, anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive readers only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And we're sharing on what the directions in the big book mean to us. So to share, press star one to unmute your phone. And once you're done, done sharing, let us know by saying pass, and then press star one again to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, what we try to do is we try to just mute our phones. Everyone's phone except the, the speaker should be muted. 
So if you're waiting in queue here, you know, just keep it mute, muted and, and we'll call on you then. So today we're going to resume our study of the big book. And we are currently on page XVIII. XVIII, Roman numeral, I don't know. I was never good at math, but it looks like 18. First paragraph starts with in the spring of 1940. And we're going to read through, Kelly's going to read through two paragraphs, ending with we had to unify our fellowship or pass off the seed. And the first paragraph for context, and of course, she's going to focus the comments on the second paragraph. So with that, let me pass off the baton to Kelly. Kelly, good morning. Good morning, Larry. This is Kelly S. from Oklahoma. Just want to say that um, I want to uh, say I'm a little disappointed in my introduction from Larry with his songs and that I thought for sure he'd break out in the song of Oklahoma. So that being said. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard you do a lot more, a lot worse. Anyway, this is Kelly S. Recovered Compulsive Voter Eater in Oklahoma. Um, okay, in the spring of 1940, John D. Rockefeller Jr. gave a dinner for many of his friends, to which he invited AA members to tell their stories. News of this got on the world wires. Inquiries poured in again, and many people went to the bookstores to get the book Alcoholics Anonymous. By March of 1941, the membership had shot up to 2,000. Then Alexander wrote a feature article in, or Jack Alexander wrote a feature article in the Saturday Evening Post and placed such a compelling picture of AA before the general public that alcoholics in need of help really deluged us. By the close of 1941, AA numbered 8,000 members. The mushrooming process was in full swing. AAs had become a national institution. Our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. The test that it faced was this. Could these large numbers of erstwhile erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? Would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? Would there be strivings for power and prestige? Would there be schisms which would split AA apart? Soon AA was beset by these very problems on every side and in every group. But out of this frightening and at first disrupting experience, the conviction grew that AAs had to hang together or die separately. We had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. Well, um, I'm trying to set my alarm. Hang on just a second. I'm not very good at this. So, um, all right, sorry. Anyway, I don't know the history as well as I'm sure some people will share in a little bit, so I'm just going to share on this how this paragraph um, applies to me and my opinion of it. So, um, you know, we get this the history right here in kind of some lump um, sums and a few paragraphs or whatever, not realizing, unless you know the history and a little bit I know that, you know, this was like 11 years later that they wrote the traditions, and I think it was like 15 years so it was even published, but... Um, so a lot of trial and error there with a lot of very strong personalities, all of us, as the big book says, selfish and self-centered, all of us trying to, to run this stuff together. And, again, I just think this whole program is so, you know, higher power, God-inspired that, you know, God, God has taken care of us. But what I've seen in my experience is kind of this has been happening in OA. You know, you guys have heard me share, and I've been around for 30-plus years, and I have done all these different schisms. I've seen OA, you know, we've split off into all different kinds of uh, things, looking for different um, avenues. And um, 
you know, what, what's happened is it all got watered down, in my opinion, for me. What I heard was it, we got away from the big book and, you know, all the different aspects. Because for me, I was, looking, I was looking outside myself. I kept looking for food plans or tools. And, you know, those things are all great, and I need them, and I use them every single day. But the solution is the 12 steps in the big book, and we've gotten away from the big book. I mean, I had to dig my big book out. And, and find it again when I started listening to Vision for You four years ago. And, um, you know, it's like I just feel like that's been the problem is that, you know, for me, I, I didn't realize what the solution was. You know, I thought if I just put the food down, I thought food was my problem. I didn't realize food was the solution to my living problem. And so I started listening to you guys, and what, what I seen was, you know, that um, what we did is we had to hang together. I think that's why you know, this program, this vision for you, this isn't a meeting. I mean, this is a meeting. It's not a program. We're just focusing on the big book, which I think is important to remember, that we're OA. You know, that what, what vision for you is, is OA bringing us all back together, unifying us back to what Bill and Bob did from the very beginning, you know. And sometimes I think people forget that. They think this is a program. You know, they're like, do you do the vision for you program? I'm like, this isn't a program. This is a meeting that finally said, hey, let's get back to basics where, where we're supposed to be. Let's unify. Let's, you know, let's get back to the solution, which is God and, the, and these steps. And that's what you know, the message is that I, I'm trying to bring to people. Yes, I have a food plan. Yes, I use the tools. But I bring it back to the big book every time, and I think that's where it got watered down. But anyway, I think that's why Vision for You, this meeting, has grown by leaps and bounds. You know, we were all just kind of, passing out the scene I was and the people that I've talked to are people a lot of the people have been around for years and and we lost the message or I lost the message and uh, and so you know I feel like today what, what my service is is to say to people you know we, we've got it watered down get back to the book get back to you know listen to this meeting and and hear where the solution really is and so you know I'm grateful today that you know we we have these traditions and I'm looking forward to hearing people sharing the history because I love it and I don't know it as well. So, anyway, glad you guys are all there. And, um, Larry, can you practice up on that song for next week? All right. I pass with that. Oh, there's, oh, there's no next week, Kelly. Thank you, for, <laughs> thank you, Kelly, from Oklahoma, where the wind comes thank you. on the plane. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's open it up for, uh, for share. Who, who would like to share? This is Ella Kenaiser. Sylvia. Melissa C. Zandy. Paula D. All right. Let me tell you who I have here. Oh, let's see if I got it. I got a bell. Uh, I got, uh, let's see, Sylvia. I have Melissa. I got Tina. Did I hear Deanna? Did I hear Deanna? Well, I definitely heard Paula. I can't miss that voice. That voice is stuck in my head. So I got Bella, Sylvia, Melissa, Tina. I thought I heard Deanna. Was there someone that sounded like Deanna? Shoshana. Shoshana K. Shoshana. Shoshana. Okay, hold on, Shoshana. Harlan G. Wait. Wait, I heard a man's voice. Harlan G. <laughs> Sounds familiar. I got you, Harlan. Okay, here's who I have. Let's go with our first group. We got Bella. We got Sylvia. We got Melissa. We got Tina. We got Shoshana, Paula, and... Now cleaning up, Harlan G. Okay, let's go with the Bella. Good morning, Bella. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Larry, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. 
Um, the conviction grew that AAs had to hang together or die separately. Yes, I remember when I just started, when I just came to the program, you know, I had the fear, and I came to the, to the meeting with, with the feeling of, you know, and I brought my, my character defect of jealousy, of competition, and yes, I had the fear that, oh, you are for so long, and I just came, so you, you are better than me, most probably that you are perfect and not me. And, you know, I, I, I had the fear, you know, of sharing because you know everything and I don't know yet everything. And, yes, I had the fear or, you know, when I just got my first sponsor, it was hard for me, you know, to be that honest because, you know, I still look at my sponsor as my, a little, a kind of a higher power, and most probably she is perfect, and she doesn't have now all those character defects. It was hard for me to be honest and really to share and, you know, and to do step 10 and to do the amends, <clears throat> you know, before somebody and really to be together, it wasn't so easy for me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. When I really started to leave the, the 12 steps one day at a time, when I really got the message to be disconnected with my ego and to be connected with the real higher power that I called him God, and when I really got the message that God loves me and accepts me. And here in the program, we are all together. We are sharing our experience, strength, and hope. And there is no such a thing, you are better than me, I am better than you. Then when I got the message to be together, oh, I will die separately. But definitely, I will not leave. And it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling to be together, there is no competition, there is no jealousy. And yes, uh, when I have to, to, to make the step 10 and to make this amend, yes, not all the time it's so easy because still it's my character defect. And I know when it comes from fear, it means that I am disconnected with my higher power. And this feeling of being together, it's a miracle. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Okay, we, next we have Sylvia, followed by Melissa. Sylvia, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, visionaries. This is Sylvia F. in um, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in, in uh, California. Boy, I almost said upstate New York. No, California. And... Um, what I want to share about is, uh, you know, this is this is when I love the line, could these large number of erstwhile erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? Uh, would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? And would there be strivings for power and prestige? And I know, I, I hope that Harlan and others who know the, the history will get on and tell us about that history. I have read some of it. But I love that this is where they're starting to say, you know, you know the, the 12 steps 
were were uh, are for my personal growth, my personal discovery, my personal spiritual transformation and psychic transformation. And we put that all into a room, and then how are we going to get along together? We had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. And that's how um, the, uh, the traditions came to be. And so what I learned coming in is that the steps were for me. That's what helped me uh, become who God wanted me to be, a recovered uh, compulsive overeater, and to be of service, maximum service to God and someone and my fellows. The traditions are how um, we all can work together for the betterment of the compulsive overeater as a group. And these 12 traditions are also, um, as I learned more about myself and I had a psychic and spiritual transformation, the 12 traditions is what helped me learn how to live with the world so the, the 12 steps were the inside job and the 12 traditions were how I had to work with others. And the, the, tra- the traditions are so important. Like the, the line, our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. So that's why we are always transferring, you know, who's going to chair a meeting and who is going to take a, a service position. And to really focus on each group has one, but one primary purpose to carry a message to the alcoholic who still suffers. It reminds us that we are all together for the greater good. And so these traditions are what help me at work in a committee hearing meeting. If, uh, if I'm in a PTA meeting, any of those kinds of things where I have to work with others these are my guiding uh, traditions. So it's been so helpful to me personally, but without it, our group would not have survived. And many of the groups I've been in would not have survived. And these are our principles as a group of how to, of, uh, of how to go forward. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sylvia. Okay, we, next we have Melissa followed by Tina. Melissa, good morning. Hi, good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa Say, Recovered in New York. And, um, you know, the fact that um, people could get together, you know, former alcoholics, um, compulsive overeaters, and work in unity, you know, work peacefully, because um, that's just amazing. You know, I, I, um, I think about all these people who um, – really believed that I'm sure that the vision that they had, the way that they wanted it to go, was the right way, um, was the best way. And and I've been in that situation as well, you know, in my life, thinking that my my view, my perspective is right. And it's really hard um, to remove that, you know, that tight grip on being right and instead reset my mind to what would be peaceful, you know, what would what would grow the greater good, not just to get my way. And clearly, um, although there was infighting, I'm, I'm assuming from what this said, um, it worked out because ultimately people had recovered. And so when you're recovered, you decide that you're no longer running the show. You know, you let God run the show, and you work with a more cooperative spirit. And so, yeah, I can apply this um, 
thank you, God, to all areas of my life. You know, yes, in working my program, my ultimate goal um, is to be recovered, stay recovered, help others recover. Um, but in my life, you know, there are many areas where um, I have to be unified in a goal, whether it's at work, um, whether it's in my family. We, You know, if you share a common goal, um, then being married to your solution, what you think is the only right way, becomes less important. You know, it becomes more important to me to um, invite other people's perspectives in. And so I know for myself I'm the most dangerous when I believe I'm 100% right. And this just reminds me, you know, it's for the greater good, not just for get me getting my way. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Melissa. So next we got Tina Turner followed by Shoshana. Tina, what's love got to do with it? Okay, Tina, you're up. <laughs> Thanks, Larry. That's yeah, bad, I know. Anorexic in Florida. Uh, heard some really good stuff. And, you know, I really love this paragraph. Our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period, you know, frightening and exciting. And adolescent developing period, you know, I'm so grateful today that our pioneers have paved the way, you know, through, through their trial and tribulations, through their experience of what worked and what did not work, you know, and, and it tells us all that in this, in this paragraph, you know, uh, could, could these large numbers of erstwhile, erstwhile erratic, you know, what adjectives, you know, um, formerly unpredictable, that's exactly what we were, you know, could we work together? And, you know, and I loved what was shared, you know, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous or so I get better, and the 12 traditions are so that we can get along better. And that has happened in my life. And, you know, one of the things that, that I like that they talked about, you know, they had experienced those schisms, you know, splits. Everybody had their own idea. And I love that it was talked about, too. You know, I always think mine's the best. And, um, you know, so I really need to, to do this deal. And, you know, when they come together, you know, during this period, it talk, they said, okay, it says, you know, but out of this frightening and at first disrupting experience, you know, first disrupting, the conviction grew, you know, a formal declaration that we had to hang together or die separately. And, you know, and that is the first tradition. You know, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity, you know, and, and what a great tradition. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful to be here. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina. So we have Shoshana next, followed by Paula. Shoshana, good morning. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Can I be heard? You can. Great. So happy to be here. Shoshana from Maryland, gratefully recovered for today. Thank you, God, and thank you, Vision, for you. Thank you, OA. I just wanted to share in the excitement of meetings being made now and the history that we can make even today just by us carrying on from what we've seen our our leaders in the past do. It's just so beautiful and exciting. We have a meeting here in Baltimore that my sponsor started, she wanted to use the big book in a meeting, and she wanted to pattern it after Vision for You, so she made a registered OA meeting here on Monday nights, which is growing and is strong, and it's, it's just amazing, and it's beautiful, and I just wanted to share in that excitement, and I don't know a lot about the earlier history, but I just want to share in the excitement about history that we could all make today by taking action. It's a program of action and 
and I love hearing about the unity. And with that, I'm going to wish everybody a beautiful day and pass. Thank you, Shoshana. Okay, we have Paula followed by Harlan G. Paula, good morning. And a good morning to you. This would be Paula D. Currently in New Hampshire, recovered by and with the grace of God. I'd like to turn around and, well, I mind turning around. I'll just look directly at our society. You know, I often think I know what the meanings of the words, and then I look a little bit further. I ask you also to look a little further. Fellowship. That's what society is. Let a ship to travel on, my friends. A body of persons united for some object. Persons living in the same circle. You know, I often think of, we look, at, we look at the 12 steps and we think of steps up and down, but oftentimes, isn't it like a circle? How many times is the surrender process done? And then we come to believe and we make a decision. So you can go in a circle, what a beautiful circle it is, and that's the circle of life, and here it, it goes on here. The test that it faced, and it, I'm going to take a step back there. That fearsome and exciting adolescent period. Well, that's quite an apt description, and I am going to be mindful of the time here. Yes, okay. That, you know, uh, Piaget, the great psycho- child psychologist, calls 7 to 11 the magic years. Well, I'll tell you, 11 to 20 would not be described that same way. And yet we can look at, at adolescence, and as was described before, and that period you know, how is it ever going to come up? My goodness, what are they going to do now? They don't even know what they're going to do. But, you know, as it goes along, as it goes along, and I just love that, it's a period of time. And AA went through a period of time, and as was, will be explained even more, the history of. But I'm going to, I want to just, that part, soon AA was beset by these very problems on every side and in every group. Well, there did seem to be no exclusions here. But, oh, and this is what changes it. But out of this frightening and at first disrupting experience, the conviction grew. Something grew out of this. And we are here sharing and reading what has grown out and getting to pass it on. And it says here, what grew? That we better hang together. There's no choice here. Hang together or die separately. We had to unify. This is why the steps, this is why the traditions, not words to read, but words to live by and to grow from. Our fellowship, our path off the scene. Well, here we are. Thank you for allowing me this time to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Hey, Harlan, what do you say? The Cubs are going to win today. Harlan, you're up. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. Harlan G. from Scottsdale, Arizona, via Chicago. The big book is written in the 1930s, and most of the OA, or most of the AA literature, excuse me, is a product of the 50s and the 60s. But what was happening in the 40s? In the 40s, AA was blowing apart as it was blowing up. As it was getting bigger, it was getting more fragmented. You had Hank Parkhurst in New Jersey in his office. Ruth Hock typed the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Bill and Hank uh, kept the publication of the big book in-house. They didn't give it to another separate uh, publishing company. That was largely Hank Parkhurst. But Hank Parkhurst 
was in love with Ruth Hawk. And when Ruth Hawk wouldn't run away with him, he assumed that Bill Wilson was playing footsie with her, and he got drunk, and he goes up and down the eastern seaboard telling people who had never met Bill in fledgling AA groups that Bill was a crook, that Bill was a philanderer, that Bill was not to be trusted, not to send their money into the central AA office. You have people in New York who are yelling still for less God, less God, and people in Akron with more God, more God, and people on Saturday Night Live going more cowbell. Now, the OAs, because I don't have the time to go into the whole thing here with AA, but in 1945, you have the beginning of the traditions coming out in Grapevine magazine. You also have Dr. Bob getting diagnosed with cancer. He will, t- he will die in 1950. And the governing forces of Bill and Bob are getting less and less every single day. Now, in OA, we took controversy and strife to a new level. Not just because if you have 20 OAs, you've got 57 opinions. No, because you have something in OA that doesn't present itself in AA for controversy, and that is we're going to have to sit and make decisions about how much food and what kind of food and blah, blah, blah with food, 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 food. They don't sit around and talk about how much whiskey or how much beer or should we weigh and measure or not. So in OA, even the term abstinence, even the term of abstinence, which we hold so dear, was controversial when it was first introduced. Early 1980s in San Diego, California, you've got anorexics and bulimics uh, anonymous springing up. In New York, Fred S. starts the How Groups. In Los Angeles, Bill B. starts his movement, his Bill B. followers or whatever. I went to a convention, a world convention in New Orleans, Louisiana in the late 80s, early 90s. The fighting was unbelievable. You've got a group of OAers who believe you should keep eating until you have a spiritual awakening. You've got see how, and you've got OA how, and you've got OA. And here in Phoenix, they took it to a new art form. You've got the 90-dayers, and you've got all these various things, and blah, 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 blah. And what's the, what's the message here? If we put recovery first, we can settle our differences. There will be no unity, in my opinion, in Overeaters Anonymous until we as an organization put recovery back in the rooms. Not going to happen. We've had sections of people on the board of trustees trying to get the AA literature out of OA. This is what we come from is the big book. This is what we come from. This is the lifeline. I won't get a lot of disagreement here in vision for you, but I'll get a lot of disagreement in other areas of OA. So what do we do? We put recovery first. That solves 99% of it. And we rotate service and we greet and meet and include everyone. And when we do that, we're practicing unity at its most pure level. Let's put recovery back in the rooms. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Okay, now you got me on fire there. Just a quick one-minute share. Um, yeah, Unity. This is Larry K., Recovered Compulsive Reader. Just very briefly, 
unity is the whole the whole basis the whole foundation of what we have without unity we have nothing we're just fractured segments and the thing about it is is vision is growing nothing special here here kim and others talk about the fact that we just you know this is an intense study of the big book of alcoholics anonymous why because people are getting well which is extraordinarily attractive it was to me you know, I, I knew how to be restless, irritable, and discontent. I knew how to step on other people's toes, how to chew them up and spit them out. I knew how to binge my brains out. I knew how to do all those things. But when you, when you have an answer, a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, the problem is, is it ha- we have to move through these steps very rapidly, in sequence, thoroughly, yes, all those things, and we will have a change. And when we have a change, the obsession of the mind will be eradicated. It'll be driven out. Yet, the, yet paradoxically, in the midst of that happening, you won't want to leave. Now that's weird. You won't want to graduate. In fact, you'll be driven to carry the message with love and tolerance in your heart. That's, that's been my experience, and I don't think I'm the only one. I know there's plenty of people on the line that have had exactly that same experience. So we have to stay close to the message that we carry. Anyways, with that, I'll pass. Let me open it up. Who else would like to share? Nessa, Nessa, Nessa R. R. Nessa R. Nessa R. I heard, yeah, I heard you, Nessa. Let's see. And I heard, here's what I heard so far. I heard, is that Zen? Is that you, Zen? Yes, yes. Yes, Zen. Zen. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Okay, we got Zen. We got, I got this out of order, so I'm sorry. Zen, Nancy, Sarah, Nessa, you were probably a little bit closer, but we'll, how about you back clean up here? So let's go with the Zen, Zen from a, from a France, from a London. Thanks, Zen. Hi, my name is Hello. Zen. I'm a compulsive overeater. We covered for today, and I'd like to share about we had to unify our fellowship. So I wonder every single day, what do I do to contribute to the unification of the fellowship? The first thing I do when I enter the OA rooms is that I pray for my higher power to let my ego in front of the doors. The second thing is that I share only the solution rooted in my pain, in my painful experience. But I have, I think this is my responsibility to share the solution because I need to give hope to people, to people who are where I used to be. I know that this hope is, it is their life forever, as it was mine. When I hear that some people were recovered, they kept me alive somehow. The other thing is that in the rooms, I do have to remember that any single relationship is governed by my higher power and not by me. Um, something else I do, I keep on repeating that this program is a spiritual program, nothing else. And this is why I come back. I keep on coming back to be reminded regularly that there is a power greater than myself and that I am not in charge. I do need to hear that on a daily basis, really. Um, just a thing I'd like to share about my way to contribute to the unification is that of the fellowship is that I do need it desperately because I do need a safe space where I 
can experience a personal transformation, where I can be vulnerable, where, where I can learn to be a human being and not only a human doing, uh, where I, I, I have to, to have this safe place in order to share without being judged, whatever, on, on any subject, including my abstinence, what it is for me. I do not need anybody to judge that. It's between me and my higher power. And um, yes, I'm very, very grateful to contribute to the unification of OHS for today. Thank you. Thank you, Zan. Okay, we have Nancy from Chicago, and then we have Sarah. Nancy, good morning. Oh, thank you so much, Larry. Uh, I'm Nancy. I'm a grateful recover compulsive overeater from Chicago, living in Indiana. And uh, I just want to thank everybody for the powerful shares. Uh, I love this. I, I love. I, I consider vision for you a classroom. So it's wonderful getting up, coming to class. I spent 34 years in uh, elementary education. I was a, a teacher and a principal, and uh, uh, the term adolescence really grabbed me, brought back a lot of memories because uh, it's the uh, period, uh, from the, it's the transitional period from uh, childhood to adulthood. And, it, I mean, it's characterized by a lot of tumultuous behavior, uh, excessive energy, misunderstanding, aggressiveness, rebellion, awkwardness, all kinds of uh, of, of difficulties involved in adolescence. I would see the sweetest kids turn into little monsters. And uh, then when I, when, when I would see them again as adults, they were just wonderful people. And another thing about adolescence, uh, the, uh, the amount of time it takes to go from being a child to an adult varies according to the person. So some kids get through it um, during the normal amount of time, and some people get stuck. It takes them a long time to get out of it. So uh, uh, that maybe that's what's happening, you know, with our fellowship. We're just stuck in adolescence. And uh, fortunately, this uh, vision for you is propelling. Uh, I know it has propelled me to maturity in the program. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm committed to doing the 12-step work and helping other people reach that maturity that the 12 steps enable us to have. Uh, you know, I'm really grateful for this. As I, as I study this uh, history, I'm just so grateful for the pioneers in AA and for the pioneers in OA because without them, uh, we would not, I would not, we, we would not be here. So, uh, uh, you know, let's not forget those people, even though we uh, have not gotten the, the, the desired results, we're not where we would like to be. I'm grateful for those people uh, who started our fellowship. And I'm grateful, most of, most of all, I'm grateful to have been introduced to, uh, reintroduced to the 12 Steps so that I'm on the path of recovery and that I can uh, utilize what I learned to help other suffering compulsive readers. It's ironic in, in, in the face-to-face -face meeting. People don't want to hear about the big book, but it's okay. I, uh, every, you know, whenever I come, whenever I show up, it's, I have a responsibility to demonstrate and to share. 
that recovery is possible. Thank you so much for letting me share, Larry. And you're doing a wonderful job. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Nancy. Okay, next we have Sarah, followed by Nessa from the great state of Iowa. Sarah? Thank you, Larry. I never thought of it that way, but thank you. (laughs) Good morning. My name is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Reader from Littletown in Shenandoah, Iowa. Uh, I I love what I've been hearing this morning, and, um, you know, I I really love the big book. And I was thinking about uh, uh, the oppositional nature, uh, as was spoken about, of adolescence. And I think we, as uh, compulsive readers, um, have been fighting and struggling for a long time and um, what uh, what the program teaches us is that we can mature and learn to, you know, quit fighting anything and anybody. And at the same time, we're human. And I was thinking about how um, in in our um, in the uh, process of when we come on board in this meeting, and it talks about our primary purpose in Tradition 5, is to carry its message. Our group is to carry its message to the compulsive reader who still suffers. And I think um, it's, I think it's really important for us to, um, to have the message of real recovery that's in this book, but that we, um, that we can't we can't diminish anybody else's um, journey, and a lot of times, I think people do that because they want to um, share their message because they think it's so good and it will help. But I think the best way to share the message and to have people that will say, "Wow, yeah," is to do it in a way where we support the message instead of verbalize the message. You know, how are we living? What are we doing? And, uh, you know, I lived in Phoenix when I first got sober and got into OA in 95, and there was so much uh, with the different factions. It was very hard, you know. I I was, um, it was really a struggle at times because there was so much fighting and, um, You know, the one place where you want to feel um, the peace of the program is in the is in the rooms. And um, you know, for me, you know, my group, my meeting right now, or the meeting that I started a year ago, it will be a year. We're we're just in the doctor's opinion, and the people are really loving it. They are loving it, and. You know, I had to be patient, and I couldn't force my demands on people, and I think that's important. And you know what? This girl was the most oppositional adolescent that you could imagine, and that's what the program has done for me. The fellowship and the program and the steps have really transformed me, and I'm so grateful for that. And at the same time, I still have to do 10 steps, and I'm still human, and I'm grateful for that. So... Uh, thank you so much for uh, 
all the information about the, the history of OA and AA and where we've come from. And like somebody else said, we are making history today, whether it be in our little hamlets or on Vision for You or whatever. And uh, just one, one compulsive reader helping another one. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, Nessa, you're up next. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R., recovered in Toronto, Canada. I, I want to go in a slightly different direction than all the previous shares because, you know, when I read the phrase erstwhile erratic alcoholics, I just can't help but be grateful and even in awe of how my life has changed. Um, and not only my life, but my family's life as a result of this chip of a buck. You know, because I used to be the erstwhile erratic alcoholic. You know, my family didn't know in what kind of mood I was going to wake up in. You know, they didn't know if I was in the food or was in a diet. It was if I was running to the food or running away from the food. And everybody was walking on eggshells because they, they just didn't know. They didn't know if I was going to wake up happy or angry, uh, restless, irritable, and discontented. You know, um, my way of coping with life, especially when things didn't go my way, was to throw temper tantrums. And, you know, um, even at the slightest adversity, um, I was one of those IEDs, those improvised explosive devices. Nobody knew, you know, what was going to happen when you step on it. And, um, you know, I, I, I've been having some problems at work, um, you know, with pretty serious problems. And food and rage have not been an option. Not only they haven't been an option, they haven't even been on the radar screen. Um, have I become restless, irritable, and discontented as a result? Yes. And that's the remarkable thing, that the rage and the food have not even popped into my mind. Instead, I have a different way of coping, a different way of dealing with um, the challenges that are in front of me, you know, which of course involve the steps and of course involve the fellowships, you know, the fellowship I've had um, some conversations with some uh, fellows that have just been so helpful, um, some insights into my character from them that have been so helpful as a result of my my reaching out to, to give a 10 step instead of, and to see, you know, how my problems are of my own making instead of just raging at everything and everyone because things are not the way I think they, they're supposed to be. And, and just like there's so much harmony in my life and serenity in my life, even in the face of adversity, you know, like, like it says in page 50, I don't, I don't have the, uh, the book in front of me at this moment, but like I'll paraphrase where it says, in the face of, of calamity and despair, we feel that a new uh, power flowed into us. Um, and the only requirement is that, that we work these steps. Um, and it's just been remarkable. I am no longer that erstwhile, erstwhile erratic alcoholic that, that, that people fear, that people tremble like, oh, my gosh, what is it going to be like today? What is it going to be like this minute? Um, I'm just so grateful for this program. I'm so grateful for the steps. Um, and I'm so grateful for recovery and the transformation that it brings. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Nessa. You know, I think we're going to stick just where we're at here. Is there a Perhaps a couple more people that would like to share on this on these paragraphs. Anita J. 
Anita? How about, how about somebody else? Edimi. Gotcha, Edimi. <laughs> okay, let's go with Anita, followed by Edimi. Anita, good morning. Thank you. Thank you very much, Larry. This is Anita J. Recovered out in Massachusetts. And I heard from some of the shares, or one share, where I fit in in this history. I heard this the big book from the very beginning, but out here in Massachusetts, in 78, 79, nobody really much knew what to do with it. And then I heard that about 25 miles from where I lived, somebody was starting a big book step study with the step one being done by an Overeaters Anonymous person and the other 11 steps, an AA woman stepped forward to do service. And that was my first exposure. It's also where I deviated. Uh, we don't need to go into all that. But the point was, there it was 25 miles away, uh, away and not nearing Boston, the other way was the first I ever heard. Uh, then Bill B, I haven't thought of Bill B in a long time, um, but he was instrumental, and I see why now. I went to Connecticut, well, big deal, Massachusetts to Connecticut, to a retreat. And it was at that retreat, going over the 12 steps, I also bought his book. I It didn't last, though, with me. There wasn't enough depth and weight in it, but at the time, it was all I had. And I reunited with that alcoholic, mentally ill mother because of that weekend. That was my message. And it was, you know, it was just... um. Wonderful stuff. What went wrong had nothing to do with the 12 steps. It had nothing to do with how it really works. It had to do with how I heard it and at the time. But I was really a very grateful person for all that it did do for me. I just didn't understand about all the gifts of this program. And I also didn't understand my responsibility my responsibility to carry this message to others and to live it and to be it. And um, I gave a very mixed message for many, many years. But that's behind me now. We don't regret the past. And uh, thank you very much for all who um, triggering some memories for me my past. Thanks, Anita. And now, wrapping up, my wonderfully serene friend, Adimi. Adimi. Good morning. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for your service. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini M. from New York, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Always giving credit where credit is due. So we have two choices. Either we grow or we die. We connect and get plugged in so we can be unified or we isolate and we fall apart. We stay strong together or we collapse apart. So to be connected is a source that we can never understand. We can't comprehend it, that a connection of a power of strength, of love, and through our circumstances and through our changes, we grow by a new mindset and a new heart and a filled soul. Because the word that we've learned 
was spread into action and it exploded and created into our our fellowship, our traditions, our principles that we have today. And the beauty is where we are weak, we become strong. Who would have thought of that? It doesn't make sense. We can't comprehend that, but that's the truth. So we listen, we hear, we learn, we do. And what we learn and do, we pass it on so we can keep it. And we carry this message. We are passing a message which is a gift of life. Because I was dead inside while I was living. I was giving a message of life. And in order to be recovered, we must be connected, connected, connected. We cannot be recovered if we're not connected. Because God is carrying us. And how beautiful is that? So without you, there is no me. What a movement. Thank you, God. God bless all. Thank you, I pass. Well, thanks. Thank you so much, Adimi. Uh, thank you, in fact, to everyone who has shared. And please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And we're now going to close with a reading from the big book on page 164. Sylvia's been waiting in the wings, but Nadia, do you have the big book up in Connecticut up there? Can you read page 164? <laughs> Uh, good morning, everyone. This morning. is Nadia B. Ready with my book. Uh, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact. And God, admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the rest of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in a fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.